This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. All right, welcome back to Sportsbook. I'm Dan Roberts, and this week's topic is soccer, American pro soccer. We're talking about this at just the right time. It's the MLS playoffs. Not sure if our average listener is aware, but certainly soccer fans are aware and excited. And just last week at our Yahoo Finance All Markets Summit, we had the pleasure of being joined by MLS Commissioner Don Garber, who came on stage and talked with us about a wide range of issues. The timing was perfect. Uh, Just the night before, the Atlanta United, a brand new MLS team this season, playing in a brand new stadium, the same stadium as the NFL's Atlanta Falcons, set an all-time MLS attendance record for a single game. 71,874 people attended that game, which is stunning. I mean, you hear people talk about MLS and debate whether it really is significant. Certainly, it's growing very quickly, but it's growing from a small base. And yes, uh, no one denies it's much smaller than Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, and even hockey. But it's growing very quickly. And boy, 72,000 people attending an MLS game, that is significant. Uh, Now the playoffs are underway as we record this. And we're going to play back just a few of Don Garber's sound bites and discuss them and respond to them with our resident MLS fan, Kevin Shupka, our uh, producer here at Yahoo Finance. So let's get into it. Okay, here we are with Kevin Chepko. What's up, Kevin? Hey, how you doing? Good. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, when we last sat down for a podcast, the broad topic was just, is the MLS a big deal? Does it deserve more respect and credit than it's getting? And even I have to say, and I, I played the part of the, I guess, the MLS bear on that podcast, I have to say that even since then, there has been quite a lot of progress and some numbers that are hard to disagree with and, and hard to question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the uh, Atlanta record, and then uh, in their first postseason game ever, which was a knockout um, one game knockout uh, playoff game, they uh, they didn't get back to seventy one, but they broke the record for postseason, um, and they that that one game record, the seventy one thousand number. I looked up NFL attendance, and granted, it was one game. But that one game is higher than the Atlanta Falcons average. Woo! The Falcons in the same stadium are averaging 70,897. Woo! Look at that. Now, of course, on the other hand, not to play devil's advocate, but since we are talking about attendance. No, that's what you're here for. <laughs> well, uh, since we are talking about attendance, the, the numbers that the MLS team is seeing in Atlanta are getting a lot of attention. But it's really important we mention the average MLS attendance this season was 22,106. Now, that is an all-time season-high record for Major League Soccer, 22,106. That average is the highest it's ever been, which is great. But to use Atlanta as this example and to keep going back to Atlanta is a little bit misleading, both by the league and by soccer fans, because, boy, 71,000, that's an outlier right Well, and and Atlanta's average for the season was 48,000. Now, they played only part of the season in the new stadium. They switched mid-season. But still, you know, they were the number one team in terms of attendance, which is pretty amazing for an expansion team, a brand new team, 48,200, you know, more than double the average. Awesome. But when you look at NFL numbers, and and again, I'm a fan of MLS and also the NFL. um, I mean, NFL just eclipses anything. 
What do you think it is about Atlanta, Kevin? I mean, as a as a big soccer fan, why is it such a hit? Is it that they're in a beautiful, brand new stadium, which I've had the pleasure of going to? We we went, we did a Yahoo Finance video shoot there, focused on the Falcons. But boy, uh, that is a huge, wonderful stadium. Or is it something about Atlanta? What makes a good soccer city? Yeah, it's a little bit of a head scratcher to me. I mean, to my you know my background or or my upbringing is. Um, you know, the New York suburbs. And so I think for a New York team, the key to success, both New York teams, the Red Bulls and NYCFC, the success has been kids and parents coming in from the suburbs. And I don't know a lot about Atlanta, but I do know they have, a you know, it's, it's a, I mean, the city is big, but the, the suburbs go for quite some time. So perhaps that's it. I, I honestly haven't drilled down into it, but um, I think MLS really depends on, those types of fans. Um, so I, I guess maybe that's it. It's worth mentioning that at the same event last week, our Yahoo Finance All Market Summit, we also had the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman. And a similar topic came up in my discussion with Bettman. That is, how do you target what might be a city where a team could thrive, a new team? And both Major League Soccer and the NHL have expanded and you know grown their footprint uh, NHL opened a new team, as we know, in Las Vegas this year. Now we're only a month into the NHL team, but Bettman was saying that they're seeing huge, encouraging numbers there, great attendance. I mean, to throw a little cold water on that, it's a brand new team. It's like when you open a new restaurant. Any new restaurant does well in the first six months, but well, then Atlanta how great too, does it do later, right? Right, Atlanta. Well, there you go. There's yeah. a great parallel here. But he was making the argument of why Vegas is a good market for a new team. Of course, lots of people are skeptical and say there won't be any hometown fan base there. But uh, Nashville, I brought up too. Last season, Nashville, the Predators, made it to the Stanley Cup. And that was when finally the sports media sort of woke up. And you saw all these stories where people said, wow, Nashville is a hockey town. And, of course, people from Nashville say that's been the case for years already. But no one really realized until the team went all the way to the Stanley Cup. And I asked Bettman, what makes a good hockey town? Uh, and, and it's worth you know applying that logic to Major League Soccer. We have a team that might be relocating to Austin. Austin doesn't have any pro sports team. Yeah. You think Austin would be a good town for an MLS team? I think Austin would um, because soccer in many ways is a little bit of a hipster sport, Absolutely. and Austin is a hipster town. You also have an enormous university in Austin, so... Uh, college kids looking for, you know, what are we going to do on a Saturday afternoon after we tailgate in the parking lot right, when right. it's not Longhorn season, yeah. you know? Totally. Especially look at Portland, yep. Seattle. Those are successful MLS cities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Seattle was number two in attendance this year wow. and has a really loyal fan base. It also helps when the team is good, right? Yeah. yeah. And they're good. Uh, speaking of Austin and Columbus, let's give a little of the context there. This was an issue that only a month ago, I, I wasn't so in, in tune to, but it has become a major controversy in the MLS world. I'm not sure if uh, the larger American sports fandom is aware of this, but you know, there's a Twitter hashtag, Save the Crew. So to give what I hope is the, the correct background here, the Columbus Crew, the soccer team there, and that is actually one of MLS's original 10 teams, played in the first MLS season ever in 1996. Attendance has been low. Uh, third lowest average attendance this season in the entire league. 20th out of the 22 teams. And really close to the bottom. I mean, the bottom yeah. three teams are like 200, 300 apart. Yeah. And so the Columbus crew have 
lobbied the city of Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, to try to get public financing help for a new stadium. Uh, and it does not appear that they're likely to get it. And so there are indications. I don't want to speak out of turn since the commissioner corrected us and said, oh, it's not right to say the owner wants to move. Of course, fans say, yes, it is. The owner clearly wants to move. But the owner of the Columbus crew has at least indicated that he is considering moving the team to Austin, which, of course, would be great and exciting for Austin. But what about the fans in Columbus? So I want to play uh, the audio from our conference so that everyone can hear what Commissioner Garber said about this issue. So let me start that uh, it's, it's not proper to say they want to move. What they're doing is evaluating what their options are to determine whether or not it makes sense to move to Austin or whether or not it makes sense for them to have factors that will improve uh, their performance and stay in the city of Columbus. So no decision has been made to uh, move to Austin. Uh, and sitting as a commissioner, no league, and certainly no leader of a league, wants to uh, move a club. We've done it once in the history of our league. We moved Seattle, uh, San Jose to Houston. Uh, we ended up two years later coming back to San Jose with a brand new stadium, a new owner, John Fisher of the Gap family. We now have a team in the playoffs, uh, our Houston team that's owned by a great owner with a brand new stadium in downtown Houston. So there are times when you make these traumatic decisions that long term they could be uh, beneficial for, uh, for the sport uh, and the league overall. Uh, the good news here is people are talking. Uh, we just announced yesterday we're uh, going to have a meeting with the mayor. We're going to have the me a meeting with the Columbus Partnership to see what kinds of things need to happen for uh, the crew to uh, work with the city and stay. And uh, last point, and I don't want to hit this one too hard, but you know these things are traumatic, and uh, and I respect and I understand that the owner is a good guy. Uh, he believes in the sport. He believes in Major League Soccer. He very much believes in his team. He wants to be successful. He's done an incredible job investing on and off the, t uh, the field. It's one of the most successful teams in MLS over the last number of years. We're all going to work together to get the right outcome, uh, and I'm confident that uh, we'll all be able to find the right way to achieve that. All right. Well, Kevin is a big MLS fan. What's your reaction to his response on this issue? Yeah. Listen, I could go down a rabbit hole on this, and I would uh, actually give you a, a plug to your NFL podcast where you did a whole a whole podcast on on stadium building. I I find uh, the trend of American sports leagues building new stadiums laughable. Um, Map Free Stadium, which is Columbus Crew Stadium, opened May 15, 1999. It's not even 20 years old. I'm sorry, you do not need a new stadium. Right. Like, stop. It's and, not and, decrepit. No. My goodness. I understand that there's probably not luxury suites. Like, it's a money thing. You know, they want to spend money or rather get money from the town, the city, so that they can then trip it out and make more money on all of the uh, the lavish additions to a new that, that all these new stadiums have. So I get it from, uh, you know, I'm an employee of Yahoo Finance. I understand that it's a money game, but it's just silly that you're going to move a team out of, I mean, they have a pretty loyal fan base. And I'll note, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, but that Columbus is probably the number one home field advantage for the U.S. national team. You know, they play Mexico in that stadium for a reason wow. every time they play them, wow. or just about every time they play them. It's funny, on the stadium issue, I'm glad you said that. I, I do agree that it has gotten crazy, the race to have the fanciest, newest, nicest stadium. 
for example, in the NFL, everyone points to the Patriots and says that Gillette is too old, and it's really not that old. The Redskins want to move again. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> just wild. Now, it's worth mentioning, again, I find it worth uh, referencing something that Gary Bettman said, who was also our guest at the same conference. But I asked him about a stadium financing because just like MLS, the NHL has a similar situation right now where in Calgary, the uh, Calgary hockey team wants a new stadium, wanted public financing help. Calgary isn't interested in giving that help. And Bettman defended this practice. Uh, he said, having a professional sports team as your anchor tenant in a facility, if you do it the right way, can literally transform a city. So when you're creating new taxes that wouldn't otherwise exist but for the development of an arena, I don't think it's unreasonable to devote some or all of those taxes to paying off the arena. Now, of course, that directly contradicts what our friend Andrew Zimbalist, a noted uh, sports economist, told us for this very podcast. He basically said that when teams or leagues rave and rant about the economic impact of a new stadium, it's almost always, quote, vastly overblown, yeah. that usually there is no economic impact. So I guess it's unsurprising that Bettman would say there is, but it's just funny. Yeah, well, and and my guess is, and I, I'm not up on the uh, mayor of Columbus's opinion, but my guess is that, you know, this is very much uh, the desire of the Columbus crew and, and not uh, the city of Columbus, because the city of Columbus probably realizes that it's not an economic boost. Um, you know, you have a loyal fan base and a relatively successful team. I mean, their attendance is low, but their stadium only holds 19,000 people. Yes, like, and it's worth mentioning that. Absolutely. Yeah, they're never going to have 71,000 people like Atlanta or an average in the 40s like Seattle. I mean, that's never going to happen there, and that's fine. You're in a small market. Do you think 71,000 people are going to show up in Austin? I don't think so. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, about capacity. Uh, the commissioner mentioned the San Jose team as one of the league's successes. The San Jose team, the Earthquakes, now play in Avaya Stadium, which is a brand-new, nice stadium, opened in 2015. Avaya Stadium only holds 18,000 people. So, again, you can't use Atlanta as an example of anything right now because yeah. most of the MLS stadiums don't hold 72,000 people. Well, if the San Jose Stadium opened in 2015, it's only got two more years of life left in it anyway. So, <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well, let's move on to uh, another important soccer issue. I need my tissues asked, for uh, this. Hold oh on. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> a, it's a tearjerker. We asked Don Garber about the fact that the men's U.S. national team has missed out on the World Cup. Uh, certainly that was gigantic news about a week ago. And even if you're not a big soccer fan, you couldn't avoid seeing that. And everyone had an opinion, and mostly the opinion was, this is horrible and humiliating. I mean, all we had to do was tie Trinidad, and we got beaten, and we're not going to be in the World Cup. Nope. Uh, it's bad for a lot of entities. Uh, the first entity that I think of is Fox, which has paid a pretty penny to have the rights to show the World Cup in 2018. And again in, what, 2022, yep. four years later, in Qatar. Uh, so you wonder, are the ratings going to suck? Now, of course, many people will still watch World Cup, even if the U.S. isn't in it. But this is unfortunate. Uh, before we hear what Don Garber said, what was your reaction, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, my reaction as a fan of the team was just anger and, and desolation. But uh, in terms of ratings and what it means for Fox, um, and I think we might have had this conversation in one of our meetings, but, uh, you know, I think that... Um, whatever, I think Fox will get more people watching the 2018 than watch 2014 um, on the ESPN family of networks. Um, had the United States gotten into the World Cup, I think 
it would have been 10% higher than it's going to be. But I don't think it would have been 100% higher than it's going to be. And I think also if there's any country in the world that can still sustain interest in the World Cup, it's the U.S. because you have all of these immigrant populations or not even immigrant populations. I mean, you know, I have people in my family from Italy, um, I mean, you know, three generations ago, but they're like, oh, I want to watch the Italian team because mm. that's just the makeup of, of the United States. Um, for me personally, like, I'll be watching Italy. I'll be watching um, England Mexico. just because I – no, I don't like Mexico. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're like the, the Red Sox to the Yankees of the U.S. <laughs> soccer. But um, I love England. I love all their yep. players. Uh, I'll be watching Iceland because they're an awesome story about cool. the smallest country to ever make it. Uh, let's hear what Don Garber said about it, and let me caution for our listeners, just so that everyone understands the distinction. Don Garber is the commissioner of Major League Soccer. That is a different organization from U.S. Soccer, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, which is the organization responsible for and taking the heat on this uh, failure to make the World Cup. People are saying there, there needs to be major uh, management change at U.S. Soccer. Uh, Garber you know, is the commissioner of MLS, but he's also on the board of U.S. Soccer. So let's see what he said about uh, the men's U.S. team missing the World Cup. Well, I mean, the silver, there is a silver lining. Whenever you have trauma, when you have struggle, you have hardship, it forces you to dig deep and try to overcome what led to uh, that challenge. And generally, if you're smart and you're focused and you have the right resources, you can come out better. And I think that's the dynamic, the dynamic that all of us on the men's side are trying to take away from this. You know, I'm a fan. I run a league, so I have a zero-sum game in any game. Uh, but when I'm wearing my, my U.S. soccer jersey or a hat, you know, I'm, I'm a, a proud supporter of the national team. And when we don't get a chance to go to the World Cup, it's, it's just a, a real disappointment. Uh, I will say that uh, it, it's going to allow us to look at the system, uh, to think about whether or not the pay-to-play the pay model is a challenge that's affecting development. I was speaking to somebody the other day whose son just uh, signed to play in college. And from the time he was a youth player to now playing for a large university, he spent $60,000 in coaching and youth uh, fees and the like. In the rest of the world, the professionals develop the elite players. We're spending $50, $60 million a year on our academy programs, and some great young players are coming out of the MLS academies. And I think you'll see that pay dividends in the years to come. Our U-17s just played last Saturday in the Youth World Cup. Uh, they were in the quarterfinals and lost to England. Only the U.S. and England were the two teams to even make it to the Youth World Cups, U20 and uh, U17. So I think there's promise. So future teams will make it at least. Well, certainly <laughs> we're not going to make it uh, playing in Russia. So, Kevin, uh, nothing super surprising there except interesting to hear him really focus on the youth level. It, yeah. it's, maybe it was a misdirection, but it's sort of like, oh, you know, look over here, where at the youth level we've got wonderful programs and we made this Youth World Cup, uh, us in England. Do you believe any of that? Well, the thing is we don't have great youth programs. Um, if you look at uh, the England, Spains, Italy's of the world, uh, my favorite example is um, is Spain, and it's actually in their, their club level, so their version of MLS, um, La Liga. You have, like, the Barcelona Academy, where parents would give their right arm to get their kid into this academy. It's a, it's a school, but, um, and we're talking young kids, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but probably 8, 10, 12, you know, years old. And uh, they're educated and they play a whole lot of soccer with Barcelona's legendary coaching staff behind them. 
And so they're starting these kids who, you know, uh, you know, they've been they, they've perfected the art of walking and running. And now it's time to put a ball between their feet. And, right. you know, they so I think that's what he means with this this pay to play model is actually, you know, they're they're going to like pay for these academies. They're going to pay for these players to develop. And we do. But it's not a these kids don't live at the U.S. Soccer Academy. They go for a couple of weeks. They do a camp. Um, you know, maybe they get into this U-17 and then they're with the team for a month or two, but it's it's not the same. What do you see as the relationship between the international game where, I mean, I imagine that there are probably even more fans in America of a foreign team, a Premier League squad, yep. Man City, Man United, whatever it is, Arsenal, more than MLS fans and MLS. I mean, obviously, the at the very basic level. I would think, and it's probably been proven, that one stokes the other. You know, the rise in popularity in America of global soccer helps MLS. But does missing the World Cup, the U.S. national team, have, you think, any impact, positive or negative, on MLS fandom? Um, I, I think you would have gained some MLS fans had people who otherwise would not have watched soccer watch in 2018. Uh, so the MLS would have grown... and. and uh, and they have every time you know we've had a World Cup the past few. You see, even with just the U.S. you know having a really good game, the Landon Donovan you know miracle goal at the last minute. Right. I mean, it's hard to quantify it, but I'm pretty sure MLS gained some fans from that. Well, and it's sort of like at the end of a World Cup run, you say, "Hey, everyone, did you enjoy that? Did you know that there's." Soccer much of the year here in America, and it's called MLS. And you can actually go to a stadium if you live in one of these, you know, 22 cities. Well, and I think that's a lot of the draw is that unlike NFL, unlike baseball in certain markets, I mean, you can't just waltz into a Red Sox game. They're always sold out. In most cases, if you are in a city, whether it's for a weekend or a bachelor party or you live there, and there is an MLS game, you can probably easily get tickets. I got amazing seats to a uh, Montreal Impact game for a bachelor party weekend. It was like awesome. two days before. So what do you want to do? You want to go see a soccer game? Actually, it wasn't even two days before. It was like, hey, maybe we'll do this. And we walked up to the stadium game day and bought tickets. Love it. Um, like 10 rows up from a corner flag. Of course, great. Major League Soccer would rather that it eventually get hard because of the high demand. Right, of course. But uh, they are in growth mode, that's for sure. I think uh, the future is bright yeah. for MLS. Yeah. And I've, I've even warmed to it more than I... I felt a few months ago, I have to say. (laughs) 72,000 people in Atlanta. That's really something. That's crazy. Uh, Okay, Kevin, thanks very much. Thanks so much. Okay, that was our Yahoo Finance resident soccer nut, Kevin Shepka. And again, I'm a soccer skeptic, but some of these numbers that you're seeing from Major League Soccer are very encouraging, and I think they're hard to dismiss, and especially at a time when the NFL is having a number of struggles, political controversies, head injuries becoming more concerning to people than ever before, and you are seeing attendance waning in L.A. Uh, The attendance for the two L.A. NFL teams is very bad, and people are saying, boy, we saw this coming. What were they thinking? There isn't room for two teams in L.A. And you're seeing TV ratings dip, and this might be just the time for Major League Soccer to really take advantage. Uh, We will be watching. I want to make sure I mention all of the great video clips and interviews from our Yahoo Finance All Markets Summit are online at our website, available for you to enjoy, including those interviews with the commissioners Don Garber and Gary Bettman, including interesting, juicy, fun interviews with Barry Diller, Mario Gabelli, uh, the CEO of Marriott, the CEO of NASDAQ. We had lots of great guests, and you should head to our website and watch some of those interviews. 
As for us at the Sportsbook Podcast, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Find us on all the platforms where you podcast. We're on all of them, and I will see you back next week, Thursday morning. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.